Let us pray. Lord Jesus Christ, have mercy on us. Bless the speaking and the hearing of your word. Amen. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. So today, uh, the Holy Spirit is going to lead us through doubt. Lead us through doubt. Now, God does this in many and varied ways. Um, today, what we're going to do is we're going to get some help from Whitney Houston. Uh, we're going to look at Psalm 73 in a little greater detail. Uh, we're going to talk about the man in Mark 9 uh, who wanted healing for his son from Jesus. And then finally, I'm going to tell you a story about my friend Fabio and his brother-in-law. Uh, you have any doubts that this is going to get us to where we need to go? So do I, but let's just, uh, let's just see. So Whitney, uh, take it away, please. You're welcome for the earworm, as they call it. This means this will be in your head for the rest of the day. Hopefully, it is for me whenever I'm flipping around uh, stations and catching something that I wouldn't otherwise pick. Uh, this comes on regularly, and I never, ever want to change the station. It's a perfect song. Uh, for our purposes, what's going on here? What is Whitney singing about? She is in love, right? She is in love. And she wants to know if that love is going to be returned, right? Uh, she's desperate to know. You can, you can sense it uh, in the lyrics and in, the, in her voice. She's desperate to know. Who is she asking to find out? Somebody that she trusts has the information, right? She's saying, how will I know? I'm asking you because you know about these things. I, I never thought about this until recently that she's singing to like a third person, Right? She's not singing to the one that she loves. She's sing singing to somebody else to say, hey, I've got a lot of doubt here <laughs> that this person loves me. I need to know how it's possible. Now, how is she actually going to have any of her doubt dealt with? What does she need? She needs the guy to tell her. Right? She can go on and on with all this. Give me all the clues. You're an expert in this stuff. <laughs> Whoever it is that she's singing to, right? I say a prayer with every heartbeat. She can do that. But until he says to her in many ways and many times, right, I love you, she's going to keep having these doubts. And what the song uh, reveals that's just true for us, first and foremost, when it comes to our doubt uh, whether it's in relation to ourselves, other people, God, uh, is that it's never just a matter of our minds, right? It's never just uh, an intellectual exercise for us, doubt. 
Sometimes we, we play that way, right? We act as though we have certain doubts and if someone could just give me all of the answers to it, right, then I'll be okay. But the reality is, is that doubt is a matter of our hearts, right? Doubt is a matter of the heart and it arises uh, when we are struggling with something emotionally, right? We want to know what's happening to us. Now, Psalm 73 drives this home even deeper for us because this is a song about uh, doubt and faith, right? He's, he's speaking about doubt and faith. And I want to reread just a couple sections for you here. He says, no doubt about it, God is good, but I nearly missed it, missed seeing his goodness. I was looking the other way, looking up to the people at the top, envying the wicked who have it made, who have nothing to worry about not a care in the world. And he continues, what's going on here? Is God out to lunch? Nobody's tending the store. The wicked get by with everything. I've been stupid to play by the rules. What has it gotten me? A long run of bad luck. That's what. The psalmist is identifying. You hear him saying, you know, He's speaking this way and then he catches himself. I don't want to talk this way. I should, I I need to deal with it. He's struggling with, you know, trying to make sense of what's happening in his life and how the only relief he gets is once he walks into the sanctuary of the Lord, right? Not that all of his answer and the questions are answered, but just that he's getting some relief. But you notice that, that his doubts arise by his experiences. He's looking around and wondering, you know, all these people that dishonor you, God, seem to be getting ahead. What good is it? doing for me. And so this also points out something for us in our doubts, which is that they arise from our experiences, right? I think we often think of kids being a little pure in in some respects, but basically in a lot of ways, they just haven't developed enough experiences with themselves and others to have even more doubt about it, right? The younger you are, the more ready you are to accept what's coming your way. And then we start to develop these doubts over time. And what this shows us is that doubt is a universal experience for us. I think it's important to pause on that for a second, especially in the house of the Lord, because sometimes just as this psalmist is kind of comparing himself to others and envying them in some ways, we can even do that among the faithful. We can say, oh, that person has a much stronger faith than I have, or that person is a, is a super Christian and I'm very weak on these sorts of things. And so we might think, well, I'm doubting, but that other person seems to be so sure. And what the psalmist reveals, and definitely all through scripture we see this revealed, is that doubt is our universal experience in life. Whether you've met Jesus uh, or not, whether you're following him, you're going to still experience doubt in life. Think about Abraham. He is the father of faith and it's credited to him as righteousness that he believes. And then how long does he have to wait between uh, the promise God makes and the delivery of his son? 25 years. And throughout that time, he's got doubts. He tries alternate routes to solve God's problem, his problem for God, right? He does this. Moses, uh, we heard this recently uh, in one of our other sermons about him at the, at the burning bush and asking every single question back to God, like, well, you know, I don't speak well. Nobody knows who you are, right? Pick somebody else to do this. Uh, and so even he who follows God and, and delivers his people from slavery has these doubts, right? The disciples have this experience. At the end of Ma- Matthew's gospel, Jesus has been resurrected. He's spending time with the disciples. I mean, we can't even wrap our minds around it. And at the end of it, it says that there are many believed, but some 
doubted. Now, that's not a good Greek translation. It should say some were freaking out, right? Some were freaking out. They're trying to wrap their heads around what is going on here. And so we learn from the psalmist, among other places, that not only is doubt a matter of our hearts, but it's also universally experienced. And there's no point in trying to compare ourselves to each other or think less of ourselves because we are doubting God in a particular situation, right? So the next thing I want to tell us uh, about is a particular example of doubt uh, happening in Mark's gospel, Mark chapter 9. And in this story, you have uh, Jesus has just come down from the Mount of Transfiguration. And there's a man who comes to Jesus, a whole crowd's coming to him. But there's a man who comes to Jesus whose son uh, is, has been possessed. He's mute. Nobody can help him out. And the father is asking Jesus to heal him. And he says to Jesus, if you can, please heal my son. And Jesus responds, if I can. It's like the closest snark I've ever heard from Jesus, right, in relation to this. Like, have you heard anything about me? (laughs) But he says, "If, if I can. And then he says, all things are possible for the one who believes. All things are possible for the one who believes. Now, the father does something I think that you and I are tempted to do immediately upon hearing these words. And he thinks that this is a reflection on him, right? In other words, Jesus is saying, look, if you believed, then it would happen. And this often happens for us in the midst of our doubt. We think something isn't coming through because of something in us, right? We're doubting too much, or we're not believing enough, or we haven't gotten our lives straight or something like this. This is what the Father does. He's, he's thinking it's about him. And so he says, I believe, help my unbelief. Now he thinks, like we often do, that doubt or faith is like some sort of, I don't know, battery charge, right? And you might have a little bit less at some times, and then you can fill it up a little bit more or something like this. In other words, it's something that we would possess, But faith is actually about the object, right? Where the faith is in. And I've shared this illustration with you guys before, but um, I know it's only September, but you know the lakes are going to freeze, right? (laughs) So I first shared this illustration when I lived in Hawaii. Nobody understood what I was talking about. But you guys will know. So um, right, you know, when the first kind of layer of ice starts to form on the lake, and there's just maybe like a teeny little bit of ice sheet on the top, If I walk out to that lake and I have the strongest faith you've ever seen, right? And I run and jump off the steps onto the ice, what's happening? I'm going through. I might be a useful idiot for the rest of us, right? But I'm going through. My faith was strong. I believed it a lot, but it was misplaced, right? My faith was in the wrong thing. On the same, uh, on the other side of this, the very first time, and actually the only time I've walked on a lake, the Boroviaks took me out, actually, I remember this, um, near the end, of, right in the, the dead of winter, it was right over here in Highland, and um, the ice was probably like, you know, super thick, everybody else is walking on it, I wanted to make sure I was behind whoever was walking first, <laughs> right? And... <laughs> And I mean, if I could have, without embarrassing myself, I would have been like mission impossible, like spreading myself out over the thing and just trying to to widen the weight load on it. How strong was my faith? Was I doubting? Was the ice going to hold me up? Without a doubt. 
right? Jesus says, if you have faith like a mustard seed, this is what he's talking about. It's the object of faith. And sometimes when we are in the midst of doubt, we think we've got to do something. There's something wrong with us. We've got to do more to get more of this faith. Well, notice that Jesus' conversation with this man isn't primarily about the man, right? The man says, if you can heal my son, and Jesus says, all things are possible for the one who believes. Jesus is talking about himself. The guy says, can you do this? And Jesus says, of course I can. I'm the one who believes. I'm the one who's faithful. The will of my father is what I do. He and I are one. There's no separation here. So yes, I will do it for you. That's what happens. And so even when we say, I believe, help my unbelief, Jesus comes to us in grace, right? This is how God deals with our doubt. He doesn't give us more. His promise, his faithfulness again and again. So Whitney has reminded us that doubt is a matter of our hearts. The psalmist has told us that it is going to be experienced by every single one of us. There's no point in comparisons. And Jesus has shown us that whatever we are doubting, whatever we are experiencing, uh, he will meet us with his grace. And that's the solution that we need. So to wrap all this together, I have to tell you about my friend Fabio, or more specifically his brother. Don't think buff, long-haired guy. This is a little uh, German-Italian friend of mine that I knew in college. We ran cross-country and track together in college. He's from uh, Hamburg, up from the north area there. And uh, anyway, um, I knew Fabio all through college. He's a real character. He was dating a, a girl, moved back to, to Germany. They were living together. And since we were close enough friends, I told Fabio, hey, you need to make an honest woman of her, get married. I mean, I didn't use those words. He wouldn't have understood the idiom. But I said, get, you guys got to get married. If, if you're serious about her, you should marry her, right? Uh, and I said, but when you do, I, since I'm giving you a hard time about this, I will be at your wedding. I will come over and do it. And so he did. And so I did. Now, I, we didn't have money for all of us to, you know, everybody to go. So it's just me by myself. I went over on the shoestring and I stayed with his extended family. They put me up at their house. Uh, which was a fun experience. Um, but the last couple of days that I was there with Fabio's brother-in-law, I noticed that at every kind of social gathering, he wanted to start talking to me about my pastor profession. This is an odd thing, I think, to him. He didn't quite understand what this job was and how the state didn't pay me. I don't know, right? So he was confused by it, but he, he kept wanting to bring stuff up. And then like his wife or some other member of the family, will like, shut, 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 don't, don't talk. They changed the subject. They wouldn't let us get going on it. And I realized why on the last night when it was just he and I having a beer by the fireplace and he started laying into me about everything that was wrong with Christianity, right? How the Bible is unreliable, uh, evolution, this and that, the age of the earth. You guys are a bunch of hypocrites. I mean, he's he was throwing, throwing everything he could at me. And me being um, the young know-it-all type person uh, that I probably still am, I started like trying to answer every single one of his things, right? So when he wanted to argue about the Bible being unreliable, I'd go into all this little apologetic stuff about, oh, it's this and that, and you're not understanding that. And I would start trying to do all of this stuff with him. And it went on for quite a while and it wasn't going anywhere. And then I wish I just heard the Whitney Houston song at that moment, but I didn't. Uh, but the Spirit did nudge me to just shut up for a second and, and think, just stop for a second 
and, and get underneath what, what's, what's actually going on here. And so I started telling him the story of St. Paul. And I, but I didn't say like, open your Bible to Acts chapter eight. Like I knew that wasn't going to get us anywhere. I just started telling him the story. I said, there was this guy who, like you, had a real problem with Jesus and his followers. And he made it his mission to get rid of them, like to shut them up, to quiet them out, to get, get them out of his uh, society. They're, they're ruining things, right? They're misleading us with lies. This is what, what he was all about. And uh, one day as he was going into this city, he's riding a horse into this city, Jesus knocks him off of the horse and he says, why are you persecuting me to him? And he says, you know what? You think that this is who you are, but you actually belong to me. Jesus says this to Paul, right? You actually belong to me. And I've chosen you to do the exact opposite of what you're doing. You're going to share my story with everyone that you meet. You're going to reach across ethnic lines and, and across uh, socioeconomics, all the things that divide people up, Paul. You're going to reach across those things by my leading, and you're going to be my witness, right, to the ends of the earth. So I finished telling the story to Fabio's brother-in-law, and I, I've never said this to anybody, um, so I know it couldn't have been me thinking of this. I said, I hope this happens to you. I hope this happens to you. That you get knocked off your horse and you encounter Jesus. The next words out of his mouth just blew my mind. He said, it's too late for me. Let that sink in for a second. Were we ever talking about the reliability of the Bible or the age of the earth or the hypocrisy of Christians? Something else was going on in his heart that I'll, I'll never get to the bottom of in that moment. He said, it's too late for me. The guy's in his mid-30s, by the way, when he says this to me. It's too late for me. Something going on underneath that I would never see the bottom of, but Jesus sees the bottom of it. And I said, well, I will pray for you. It's not too late for you. I'll pray for you. And he said, it's going to take you a long time. And I said, I have a long flight. (laughs) And we... (laughs) And we said goodnight, and that was the last I've spoken to him. In fact, preaching this weekend makes me realize I should reach out to Fabio and ask about his brother-in-law, come to think of it. But what you see there in that moment, and this is true for every one of us, that whatever is going on, our doubts are at the heart level, and Jesus knows it. And by God's grace, hopefully that conversation, spirit-led as it was, did something for him. And hopefully there are hundreds more that I don't even need to know about where, where God is planting and watering and giving growth, where I might not see it, right? This is the encouragement. This is the way in which God leads us through our doubts and the doubts of those around us because Jesus is big enough for our doubts and he is merciful enough for them too. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, amen.